0: And welcome to the latest Funds Fan podcast. I'm Kyle Caldwell, the collectives editor at Interactive Investor. Coming up on the podcast is an interview with Alliance Trust, which is a popular investment trust among customers of Interactive Investor. It's been nearly five years since Willis Towers Watson took over the management of Alliance Trust and changed its approach to a multi manager structure. So, among the questions I asked Stuart Gray, of Willis Towers Watson was to give an assessment of how performance has fared over that period. Before that, though, is the first part of the podcast in which I'm joined by Sam Benstead, Interact Investors Deputy Collectives Editor, to chat through a couple of news items related to funds and investment trusts. So, Sam, we're going to start off with Investment Trust Dividend Heroes, The Association of Investment Companies, which is the trade body for the investment trust industry, published this week the latest list of dividend heroes. Sam, could you run through what a dividend hero is and name some of the trusts that are dividend heroes?
1: Yeah, of course. So dividend heroes are investment trusts that have more than 20 years of consecutive dividend increases. There are 17 trusts which make the AIC's list, down from 19 last year's two trusts merged with rivals. Seven have 50-year records, and many of these are favourites of DIY investors. City of London, Bankers, Alliance Trust are out in front, with 55 years of dividend increases. Caledonia Investments has 54 years. BMO Global Smaller Companies and FNC have 51 years, and Brunner has 50.
0: There's a key reason why there are 17 trusts that have been able to grow their dividends year in, year out for over 20 years, And this is down to the investment trust structure, which allows trusts to hold back up to 15% of income generated by their underlying investments each year, which can go into so-called revenue reserves. In contrast, open-ended funds have to return all of the income generated each year back to investors. During the global financial crisis and also during the COVID-19 pandemic, the majority of UK equity income investment trusts were able to either maintain or increase their dividends as they dipped into their reserves. On both of those occasions, the vast majority of UK equity income open-ended funds cut their dividends. However, I think it is worth explaining how the revenue reserve works in practice, as it is easy to get the impression that this revenue reserve is somehow ring-fenced, but that's not the case. In reality, it amounts to little more than an accounting tactic An entry in the books to show retained revenue. That money is part of the trust's net asset value and is invested in the same way as the rest of the portfolio. If some of it is needed to top up dividend distributions, then the fund manager has to sell holdings or dip into the cash element and the NAV is affected. And the NAV is the net asset value. Sam, while these dividend heroes have a formidable track records in terms of income consistency, there is a trade-off. Could you explain what that is?
1: Yeah, so while some of the records are really impressive, it's essential to look at the yields on offer as well. So Scottish Mortgage, the Technology Trust, has 39 years of consecutive dividend increases, but yields just 0.4%. This is because its holdings generally don't pay dividends and the share price has risen a lot over the past decade. Another so-called dividend hero not doing much for income seekers it's BMO Global Smaller Companies. It yields just 1.2%. Like Scottish Mortgage, it buys fast growing but less mature firms that don't return much money to shareholders.
0: That's a very good point you've made there, Sam. And as ever, it's a case of looking under the investment bonnet and understanding what the investment trust is aiming to achieve. We're now going to move on to Neil Woodford. There was an update from the fund administrator, at Link Fund Solutions for the closed Woodford Equity Income Fund this week? Well, a say update. There was actually a lack of an update regarding when investors will receive the next payment from the fund's remaining assets. So far, a total of £2.54 has been returned to investors in four separate payments from the sale of the fund's assets. The value of the fund's remaining assets is just under £141 This total amount may change, depending on the sale of companies that are still left in the fund's portfolio. Link, however, were tight-lipped on when the fifth payment will be made. It cautioned that the wind-up of the fund may go beyond the end of this year. Sam,
1: do you mind running through what Link said? Yeah, sure. This is what Link wrote to investors. The sale of the remaining assets and future capital distributions to investors will continue but at a pace which seeks to achieve the best outcome for investors. At this stage, we are unable to provide a specific date for the fifth capital distribution or for the completion of the winding up of the fund. Due to the nature of the fund's remaining assets and our commitment to achieving the best outcome for investors, it is possible that the windup of the fund may not be completed by the end of 2022.
0: I mean, my personal view is that you know, I appreciate that Link don't want to sell the assets on the cheap and want to try and get the best possible price, but I think if I had invested in the fund, which thankfully I didn't, I would want an end to the saga or at the very least an indication of when the end is in sight. Investors have had to be patient and that patience has been stretched further by the latest update by Link as there is no end in sight to the winding process of the fund. There's also a lack of empathy really in the letter. There was no apology for the continued delay, which again, if I was a recipient of the letter, I personally wouldn't be happy about. We're now going to move on to a piece that Sam has been working on and will be published on the Interactive Investor website next week, ii.co.uk. And that piece is looking at whether the 2020s are starting to look a lot like the 1970s.
1: Thanks, Carl. And yeah, for many investors, this is definitely the case. The oil price has risen from $25 to over $100 in just two years. Which squeezes household finances. In nineteen seventy-three, it tripled overnight to ten dollars a barrel and then kept rising. The trigger today is of course the conflicts in Ukraine, but in nineteen seventy three it was the fourth Arab Israeli war. This is causing inflation to rise. In the UK, it's at five and a half percent at the moment, but forecast to reach seven percent in the spring. Inflation hit twenty four percent in nineteen seventy five at its peak. Economists think a recession is possible if central banks raise interest rates too quickly. Contractions in GDP in the 1970s followed a period of low interest rates and government spending, just as we saw during the pandemic. The Bank of England then hiked rates to over 10%. The 1970s was a horrible period for stocks, and 2022 has started badly. Investors are hoping this decade will be different, but there are plenty of comparisons to make so far. One of the key things investors are optimistic about is that wages won't go into an upward spiral as they did in the 1970s, and inflation will subside once the oil price drops and international supply chains go back to normal after the pandemic pandemic disruptions end.
0: I'm looking forward to reading the piece, Sam, and I know you've spoken to a couple of fund managers that were uh, running money in the 1970s, including Peter Spiller, fund manager of Capital Gearing Investment Trust. What is their take?
1: Do they agree that there are a lot of similarities? Spiller said there were similarities because inflation would remain elevated for some period yet but he said central banks would not raise interest rates too quickly in order to avoid plunging economies into recession. In terms of how to invest, he suggested a number of safe havens. Index-linked assets were one of them. They pay an income that's linked to inflation, so investors' real incomes are protected. This includes index-linked bonds, as well as investment companies that generate an income from residential rents, such as Granger and PRS REIT. He said gold was another option, as it typically holds its value when inflation is high.
0: For our fund manager interview, I'm joined by Stuart Gray of Willis Towers Watson, which is the investment manager of Alliance Trust. The trust invests globally, but mainly sticks to developed markets. Given that context, I'm assuming the answer is going to be no to my first question, but it would be an oversight if I didn't ask. And that first question is, does the trust have any direct or indirect exposure to Russia or Ukraine?
2: Yeah, thanks, Carl. Um, the short answer to that is no. We we don't have any direct exposure to Russia, Ukraine, or, or Belarus. Um, but first, I did want to make a, you know just an obviously a quick comment that we share, as I'm sure your listeners do, the increasing horror with what's happening in the Ukraine um, and the suffering that's happening there. Um, and, and it's good to see the sort of increasing help that's, that's going to to people of Ukraine. Um, but yes, we are a global investment trust. Um, the benchmark is the the All Country World Index. So up until recently, you know, investments in Russia were conceivable. Um, at the start of the year, we had less than one percent exposure to Russia, so very small. Um, that had already reduced to less than half percent by the end of January. Um, and of course, as things escalated, um, you know, very quickly in mid to late February, the remainder of our positions were sold. So as you say, no no direct exposure as of now, and indirect exposure. Whilst it's hard to be overly precise. I would say it's it's negligible, really, uh, at the trust level.
0: The trust adopts a multi-manager structure and currently has nine stock pickers, who in most cases select between 10 and 20 shares. So overall, the trust has around 100 to 200 holdings. Stuart, how do you ensure that the portfolio is not over-diversified, a term known as diversification, due to holding that many companies?
2: Yeah, so this is a critical part of the whole alliance trust proposition. Um, I think the concept of diver- diversification is reasonably common sense. Uh, I think if people are managing their pot of life savings, you know, the idea of don't put all your eggs in one basket is, is reasonably well understood. So I think it's pretty normal for investors to hold multiple funds. Um, but doing that well and avoiding diversification, as you put it, is pretty critical and something that many investors either struggle with or or frankly, maybe can't even measure or or manage at all. Um, Now for myself and the Alliance Trust team, when we build a portfolio, we're trying to maximize the benefits of diversity and avoid diversification. So what we mean by this issue is, when you put lots of funds together, the risk is that you, you sort of cancel things out and you end up averaging everything out to the benchmark. And this means that most of your money ends up just replicating the index and only a very small amount of money is actually active against the index. Um, And that of course means it's very hard to make any active return. Now, Alliance Trust is almost the opposite of that. We deliberately build our portfolio so that it doesn't cancel out and create the index. In fact, about 75 or 80% of the money in our portfolio remains active against the benchmark and only a small amount of, of money is covering index stocks. Um, so for context, if you compare that to a single manager's fund, you know, that 80% or so active money is pretty high. And if you compare it to a multi-manager fund, it's very high. So that's what we mean in Alliance Trust by trying to maximise the diversification benefit and avoiding diversification and making sure that the portfolio you have um, overall is still a very active portfolio.
0: And what's the percentage split between for managers that invest in either value shares or growth shares? And what's your view on the market rotation that's been playing out of late, which has been benefiting value shares at the expense of growth shares?
2: Yeah, so first a quick caveat that this is not exactly how we think about it. We don't think in terms of buckets of value and growth. Um, you know, those, those phrases are quite useful when we're talking about concepts like this. But when we're actually building a portfolio, there's a lot more granularity involved in terms of... understanding how the managers think about investing and the the companies they're investing in. Um, But to answer your question uh, directly, um, I would say it's about 50-50 between value and growth. And that's very deliberate because we're not trying to take risk in predicting whether value shares or growth shares will outperform next year. that question gets a lot of attention, a lot of excitement, because if you can get that right, it can be very rewarding. Um, But unfortunately, history shows us that in the long run, people are not very good at, at trying to time these style effects and certainly not very good at getting those um, decisions correct repeatedly over long periods of time. So what we're doing is trying to diversify away that kind of risk. So we have got exposure to both value and growth. And how Alliance Trust is going to add value is by picking the right stocks in, in all areas. So we want to pick the best value stocks and the best growth stocks. So no matter what sort of environment we get, we have got the potential to add value by owning the best companies. And that brings us back to how the portfolio reacts when we have a market rotation, like we've seen recently from growth into value shares. Now, of course, everyone knows there's you know there's a number of big growth funds out in the marketplace. Um, you know, There's some very popular ones, had tremendous performance over the last few years. Um, but of course, in this rotation that's happened, they've had significant underperformance. Now, Alliance Trust tries to avoid that style of volatility. It's actually well protected against those market rotations because we own both value and growth shares. Uh, so if we continue to pick the right stocks, Alliance Trust should be able to add value through stock selection and avoid these big style swings that you see in these individual funds that have their style exposure.
0: Next month marks five years on since willis Towers Watson took over the management of Alliance Trust and changed its approach to a multi-manager structure. What's your assessment of performance?
2: Yeah, so absolute performance, uh, I think, in all honesty, has been a bit stronger than expected. Uh, It's been a good period of equity market returns. And since we took over in April 2017, I believe the trust is up around uh, 54%, uh, which even including the recent falls that we've seen um, because of recent events, 54% is around or a bit over 9% per annum over that period. So stronger than average um, returns that you would expect from equity markets in the long run. Um, And it's worth remembering that that's against a pretty difficult economic and real-world backdrop. Um, I I certainly don't want to be overly flippant about some of these events, but if you look at what's been happening, we've had Brexit, you've had a Donald Trump uh, presidency, you've had US-China trade tensions, maybe a reversal to some degree of globalisation. You've had climate change causing natural disasters. Uh, You've had a a deadly global pandemic, in case you missed that. Um, and now, of course, we've got a war in Europe. So, you know, there really is a lot to worry about. But as they say, equity markets climb a wall of worry, and they've certainly been doing that. So I, I think equity returns overall in the trust performance in an absolute sense has been, been very strong, um, perhaps surprisingly strong, given some of the events that we've seen recently. Um, but overall, very pleased with, with that result for shareholders.
0: Over that five-year period, the trust's net asset value return has fallen short of the benchmark which is the MSCI All-Country World Index. What are the main reasons behind that?
2: Yeah, so if we turn to relative returns, um, clearly we're a little bit more disappointed that the NAV is behind the benchmark uh, since the inception. And really that's because we know the strategy is capable of delivering significantly better than this in the long term. So what's been happening in the last few years? Well, some of that is down to what we call the non-core assets. Um, this is a small part of it, but when we took over the trust in t- 2017, it was about 90% equities and 10% in these other non-core assets. So the Alliance Trust Savings Platform, some private equities, some real estate, um, and things like that. Now, those assets were gradually sold, sold down over the next couple of years. So the trust has been 100% equity portfolio uh, essentially for the last few years. So. Um, you know those non-core assets whilst we did own them they didn't perform as well as the strong equity market so they were a slight drag on those returns so that was part of the reason but even adjusting for that um, you know the return the return of the nav is slightly behind the index since our inception and there's a lot to talk about in there of course but if i had to pick one key thing i would probably point to the fact that since the middle of 2018 uh, to maybe the end of 2021, you know, the real driving force in the marketplace has been these large index stocks, which are primarily US large cap you know, technology companies. Um, you know Those companies, which are already the biggest stocks in index, just kept getting bigger. Um, so in the last few years, actually being a passive investor has been, has been quite a good place to be. Like I said, absolute returns of equities have been very strong. And if you wanted to outperform the market, you really had to take a very, very concentrated bet on these large companies, uh, particularly US large cap companies. Now, in our view, in Alliance Trust, we think that you know concentrated bet is not totally prudent. We have a, a diverse approach. And we think it's, it's not the right thing to do to put such a huge part of our shareholders' capital into such a small number of companies. So we have a more diverse approach that has not been well rewarded in the last couple of years. But we do know that over the long term, this strategy should be very well rewarded going forward. Um, And the stock selection skill that we have in the portfolio, we think sets the fund up for uh, significant outperformance going forward.
0: Wanted to next move on to dividends. The trust increased its dividend by 32.5% in its last financial year. How important is it to continue having a progressive dividend policy and building upon the 55-year track record of consecutive dividend increases?
2: Yeah, that is of absolute primary importance. Um, to the board, you know, the Alliance Trust and the board directors—they're very proud of the heritage and history of being able to grow that dividend for such a long period of time, you know, over 55 years, as you said. Uh, and of course, their status as the AIC dividend hero. Um, you know, the board has been extremely clear that they, you know, are are committed to continuing that in the future, and, and that continual annual growth of the dividend um, year on year in the future is is fundamental to what the board is planning to do. Um, so that's the primary goal. But as you say, it, clearly there has been a very significant step increase in the dividend uh, last year, 32 and a half percent. So you know, why has that happened? You know, the board has really looked at this in quite a lot of detail and also talked to a, a number of shareholders and prospective shareholders. And you know, the view that they've come to is that actually you know, investors would also like a higher level of income. Um, you know, and the trust is able to deliver that given its size, scale, level of reserves, and so on. Um, You know, the trust is able to pay out a higher level of of income to its shareholders, whilst also continuing with the progressive dividend of building on that year on year going forward. Um, You know, so the directors have been very clear that there's no change to um, the investment strategy needed to achieve this. There's no change to the commitment to, to grow that dividend year on year, but hopefully the step increase in the dividend as well makes the trust more attractive to existing and prospective shareholders.
0: And finally, a question that we ask all fund managers who appear on, on the podcast. Do you have skin in the game?
2: Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think the report accounts show that all the directors uh, own shares of Alliance Trust. And certainly for, from my perspective, myself and my colleagues on the investment committee, you know, we all own shares of Alliance Trust. And I think further than that, you know, outside of property and you know, work pension pod and so on, you know, if we look at our liquid assets, Alliance Trust would be a very significant proportion of our investments. So yes, definitely skin in
0: the game. Stuart, thank you for your time today.
2: Thank you very much. That's it for this episode.
0: Thank you for listening, and I hope you've enjoyed listening. There's plenty of fund, investment trust, and ETF analysis on the Interact Investor website, ii.co.uk, so do check that out. We'll be back in early April. (music)